This is a podcast from the Queen City Podcast Network. Well, welcome everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the Charlotte is Creative podcast. Uh, I'm sitting here with my co-host and co-founder of Charlotte is Creative, Tim Miner. How you Hey-o. doing, Tim? And uh, we are uh, in the wake of the March 2023 uh, Creative Mornings Charlotte event, which we just wrapped here at the Hamilton at the North Carolina Music Factory. And so our guests uh, are Mark and Maggie O'Connor, the amazing fiddle duo. Well, it's it's actually not enough just to say fiddle duo. Right, that that feels reductive. You do so much more (laughs) than that. Fiddle and violin. (laughs) And violin. All of it. All the strings. And you do it. At the highest possible level. <laughs> oh. Exactly. So before we dive in, um, I just want to say what an honor it was to have you both at Creative Morning Charlotte this morning. Um, the the audience was just, and this is not overstating it, they were very much in awe of what they heard and what they what they saw. Mm. I, I would I'd back that up. I mean, we, um, you know, at this point, I have actually lost track. How many speakers have we had? Over 80. Yes. Over 80 speakers. And you know, we choose them carefully, but, and people are often quite moved and we get great input. This response to this morning, I mean, we're a half hour late uh, recording this podcast because of the love I know you guys got and the immediate, people were like running up to Matt and to me, not to say, oh, you guys did a great job, but say, oh my Lord, I didn't know that that they were here in Charlotte. Mm -hmm. That's amazing talent. I feel honored to be in this room. This is, if not the one of the strongest reactions we've gotten to a speaker and a musical guest ever. Amazing. Wow. Gee, Maggie. That's amazing. I mean, it, well, thanks for having us, and it's great to be here with you um, um, and uh, doing this podcast with you. Um, and uh, summing up this morning, it's it a, a lot of emotions. I know. I loved the audience too. Like as people were filing in, I was just thinking, "Wow, these people just look like I want to be friends with all these people. Oh, yeah, they just exactly. look like really fun, creative people." Eight in the morning, they're ready to they're ready to party. Yeah, they're ready to celebrate creativity. I, I think one of the things we've been able to tap into is, you know, there's a there's an aspect in Charlotte. I don't know if you guys have seen it in the six years since you've moved here, but there's just some something in the water that people like to run Charlotte down, or or maybe people who live in Charlotte shortchange the talent that's from here. Like one uh, thing that's really funny is Matt and I play Queen City Quiz Show all over the city. And the first question we've almost always done is who is Charles Duke? And we give people options, uh, silly options. And one of the, the first option is that he is the youngest person ever walk on the moon. Yesterday is the first time that question has ever been correctly answered because people can't fathom that somebody who walked on the moon was born in Charlotte. And so you guys broke that paradigm too. I think what we've been able to kind of reveal is that Charlotte is truly a deeply creative city, mm-hmm. very innovative, very passionate, very, uh, you know, talented and, and genius level artists choose to reside here. Mm-hmm. But even at that, some of the lead people that were the most shocked today were Charlotte leaders. And they're like, I had no idea they were here oh and so it, it says something um it really says something about you that they the people that are in the know uh, were knocked over with a feather and it's i think it says something about charlotte that you chose to make this your home and we're really proud to have you guys here absolutely oh, thank we you. we came down from uh the cultural you know haven of new york city 
And uh, I had lived there for 11 years and it was a, an amazing experience. But at some point, you know, we, Maggie and I got married and we said, let's, let's get out of this rat race <laughs> and uh, head to uh, some greener pastures and, uh, and get a little space around us, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it, it, I mean, right away, we wanted to be a part of the, the creative energy and spirit of Charlotte. Mm. And that's why we brought our string camp from New York, which was, which we had it for several, many years there, and then brought it right to Charlotte um, each summer for a week at the end of July the O'Connor Method String Camp and Maggie and I teach there for the week. And that's one of our contributions uh, to the, you know, creativity of Charlotte and spreading music and education. Mm. Well, thank you for being here. It's really, it's enhanced our city. It's important. So, you know, it was just great timing for you all to be our guests uh, at Creative Mornings because uh, you're in the midst of this, uh, of revealing to the world your, your memoir, uh, which uh, which is about your uh, journey as a uh, child prodigy uh, to, uh, into Fiddler Who Dared the World. I love, I love that line. Um, so the timing is just so great that we finally got to bring you up on stage uh, as the energy of your new memoir is sort of being released out in, into the world. Um, and so part of your origin story is that you, um, you, you were mentored. Uh, you were mentored by by some greats, and two in particular that's mentioned in your bio is Benny Thomason, um, who created the modern era of American fiddling, and the French jazz violinist uh, Stéphane Giappelli. Grappelli, yes. Grappelli, thank you. Um, considered one of the greatest improvisers in the history of the violin. How did those two epic characters end up in your orbit, or vice versa? How, how did they become a part of your origin story? Well, the stories about those two folks and, and all the other people that I ran into as a child musician um, makes for a rich read. Uh, and one of the reasons why I've been trying to figure out how to write this book for so many years. Matter of fact, uh, just to go back uh, uh, a little bit, 10 years ago, I actually tried to write this book with a co-writer, a great biographer, David McGee. And um, so the, the book that's out now is all my own writing mm. because I scrapped that project because I didn't, I, I hadn't found my voice yet. But the only thing that I kept from that first go at it 10 years ago was the title that David McGee came up with. He oh, came wow. up with the Dared the World and, and Crossing Bridges. Um, and so I kept the title that he came up with. And that was my starting place to write this book. I just had a title. Wow. And, uh, so and it was during the pandemic. Um, I knew that I wanted to tell the story about these American music legends, even though Stefan um, is from Paris, France. Um, he played American music. Mm. And so I consider him an American music legend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to be from America to play American music. Um, so I just wanted to write my story about how, um, you know, this music that I grew up playing is 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 universal, mm-hmm. and there's a universal aspect to creativity that I wanted to really, um, you know, tr- to dive into, and and create um, a pathway for children for families to understand that no matter how narrow the path might seem um, to a parent, for instance, you know, 
trust the kids if they find some creative source that they can pour themselves into um you know i think that is a way uh forward um for children and then my mother you know the, the story is where my mother gave me that opportunity um she had the confidence that i could find it and mm -hmm. she supported it but did she give you the white fiddle <laughs> the white fiddle uh, <laughs> see i teed that question up i know that's that, all in the book too it so is, don't give too much away it's a it's a white painted fiddle that i grew up playing and my teacher benny thomason who by the way spent hours and hours with me every other weekend teaching me american fiddling um, that's how i came to do this um you know being a kid from seattle I mean, it was uh, it was far, far away from the cradle of this music, which is North Carolina and Tennessee and other southern states. And uh, but he was a uh, transplant from Texas. He was retired up there, and he found me as a beginner. He found this fiddle that was hanging in a barn. It was at a barn decoration. It was painted white. I couldn't afford. My my parents were completely broke. Couldn't even afford. You know. A $50 fiddle and so he gave it to me and this thing was a cannon and I ended up Wait, winning my favorite part is that he traded it for a fishing pole <laughs> right <laughs> don't forget that part that's right that's Word big detail. yeah that's big detail so my teacher Benny Thomason found it in the barn traded that fishing rod for it and you know my my parents were just absolutely poor they couldn't afford even a $50 fiddle and Benny Thomason gave me that white painted fiddle that was intended to be a barn decoration, but it was a cannon of an instrument. Um, we thought about stripping the white paint off, but everybody was saying, well, if you like the sound the way it is, it will change the sound. Mm. Um, and so we left the ugly white enamel paint on, but there was a newfangled uh, utensil out called the Sharpie. <laughs> And uh, we thought that uh, some signatures of famous fiddlers on the white fiddle could cover up some of that ugliness. <laughs> and wow. so, yeah, so we, it was amazing. And we ended up with 60 or 70 uh, great fiddlers, from people from Stefan Grappelli to classical violinists like Yehudi Menuhin um, and El Shankar and Roy Clark and... I mean, just like unbelievable. Ma even Merle Haggard. Bill Monroe signed it too, right? Even wow. Bill Monroe signed it. Wow. He was the f the only non-fiddler, but he loved fiddle music. You know what's weird is that the signature rubbed off. And his signature Maybe has that's completely why. rubbed Ooh, off. Ooh, that's like, that's sort of spooky. It's it like is. It, it only takes it's, violin players. It's a magical fiddle. It is a magical fiddle. It, it just exists. <laughs> it floats around. It really is. And um, it hung for uh, 15 years in the Country Music Hall of Fame. And I had such an emotional attachment to it, 15 years. And I had such an emotional attachment to it that I asked for it back. I would imagine, though, like Thor, you could just put your hand out and it would fly from the museum <laughs> into your hand. I mean, that's what I'm seeing, right? I, I, I we need to go over that. We can see if you can pick it up. Or, or worthy enough to hold the white fiddle. My hand was outstretched. Well, you brought it. When You and I got to spend a little bit of time, the three of us, at WBTV, and you brought it. Um, to that studio and so I got to see it with my own eyes and it just radiates the history and just the epicness of all the people that have touched that and of course all the years you've played it so it's a beautiful incredible piece one of a kind and it, it just sounds it always sounds that way and you don't even have to play it 
It doesn't have to be warmed up. Actually, I want to thank Maggie um, because I don't know if I could have written this book without her um, support mm. and uh, and belief that I could do it. Um, I needed to become a really good writer to write this story. Um, you know, when a musician writes a memoir, it has to be a piece of art. Mm. You know, or and that's probably why probably why a lot of musicians don't write a memoir mm-hmm. is just too hard. Mm. You have to you have to clear away enough time. Yeah. And most musicians don't want to do that. I don't I didn't really want to do it. But it's a very the, emotional memoir too, so it can be emotionally very taxing as well. Yeah, you're digging you're digging deep into mm-hmm. uh, difficult parts of your childhood. Yeah. And you really need to because it, you know, to be a a, a musician like myself is it, not just, you know, a story about get, getting music lessons mm. and practicing. I mean, there's there's a lot of things that are ha- that are happening in especially in a young person's life that um, signals a change and opens a new door um, and and p- people you know if they know my bio at all they, they probably wonder like how does a a young fiddler end up playing jazz music with Stefan Gravelli mm-hmm. still as a young you know teenager um, so it was a series of open doors that I struggled to find through the adversity of a dysfunctional family life and school life. And I was looking for music as the escape route. Mm. And uh, at every turn, music became a safe harbor and a way out. Um, And so that's a story that I wanted to share with a lot of people because, you know, music as a metaphor, um, something creative, some kind of creative process can rescue a lot of children. But I personally believe that that uh, having instruments in our culture, again, um, could do us really a lot of good. Um, you know, I came up in a real musical time. My story takes place during the 1970s when music was just on fire. Mm. You know, rock and roll was really coming into a, a real industry. Um, the bluegrass festivals were just taking off. The fiddle contests were at the height of their popularity. Um, thousands of people were coming to him. The dynamics between the old timers and the mature fiddlers and then the young kid out of Seattle. <laughs> I mean, it was it was something that is a, a story should be written about. And that's so that was the weight that I I brought into this writing project. And, and I knew it was going to be a piece of art. And I I needed to elevate my writing ability to tell this story. And I'm, I'm so thankful that Maggie was there encouraging me. And uh, always believe that I could do it. That actually gets to something I wanted to ask both of you. Is, I, I, you know, looking at growing up watching musicians, I think there's this, there is one aspect of music, probably a little bit more with rock and roll, that, you know, you've got the singular genius and they kind of are on their own or they have their own solo albums. You both have chose a highly collaborative form of music where, you know, it's, it is a joy and it is a, a given and a strength to join with someone else. Mm-hmm. So what, I guess my question would be, it's kind of two parts. One is what is it like to play with your heroes? Right. But then to also find a partner like with like Maggie that just brings out the best of you and that you, you, you have that, uh, that performance is intertwined and that creative life is intertwined. Well, Maggie, you should answer the first part of that because I was a big influence 
yeah, I got to marry my hero. So that, and, you know, Mark got to have such an incredibly rich um, education with his musical heroes. So I guess I'm the beneficiary of that. Mm. But but he was definitely my musical hero. And then I ended up meeting him. I, I got a lesson. Um, and actually, I was going to try to do a fiddle contest, uh, which uh, his memoir focuses a lot on his fiddle contest. Mm. Um, I even got a grant from Peabody, the, the school I was uh, going to, the conservatory for classical violin. And I wanted to learn more about American fiddling and I'd, I'd grown up doing it, but I never did a fiddle contest before. So I thought, well, I'm just going to contact Mark and see if he'll give me a lesson. And I never got to do the fiddle contest, but we got married instead. So <laughs> yeah. I love you that. Want a, you want a different kind of prize. <laughs> yes. But, but yeah, the heroes part really resonates there. <laughs> I, I've played with probably thousands of string players. I mean, if you definitely if you include all the orchestras I've I've guested with, performed with, but uh, as far as like just in 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 a kind of a close knit ensemble, probably hundreds. But when I first took the bow to the violin with Maggie, there was something magic, mm. something very special. Um, you know, when I first you know played with Stefan Grappelli, I was scared. You know. Um, I was, was scared when I first played with you, so but I, yeah, you did, it didn't that show. makes sense. You know, it there didn't was, show. There was that like, probably <laughs> meant you were doing the right thing if you were. If you were I know, but there was some kind of music um, simpatico with us from mm -hmm. the beginning. With Stefan, I, I write about it. I mean, I had grown up listening to him, but it didn't help me play with him, and I had to really, really fight for it because he it was so different, and um, I think. Part of the reason why I wanted to to do what I've done in music is to make all of this more accessible uh, to to uh, musicians, to students, but to audiences, everybody, because there's a way to do this where it's not so remote. And um, I think uh, you know, for some reason, what I've been able to do in my adult career uh, in music, you know. Um, reached out to someone like Maggie who was able to play this music so beautifully with me um, and that we've we've been playing ever since we've been married about eight years and uh, I just love it and I, I you know it's it's um, I find myself kind of in a in a place where I, I never had imagined that I'd be sharing uh, the music stage with uh, my spouse mm. um, and I never planned on that or, or it was not a goal I, mean, I didn't think I could ever find that anyway uh, but now that we're here, it's just so great to be able to share that with audiences. Wow. Well, yeah, I never thought I'd still be cutting up and doing goofy things with you. You're, you know, you're my work, work back spouse. Back in the day, yeah. The yeah. meeting of the two duos. This, right? is, this, is, yes. this is the meeting of the two duos, the O'Connors. I know who the, the Apex duo is. Right. <laughs> well, you know, our last band, uh, the O'Connor band, was a combination of two duos. Oh yeah. really? And oh, we awesome. we won a Grammy, so yeah. So it works. We yeah. could yeah. we could maybe have a band with you guys. And... <laughs> you heard us sing today, man. Yeah, I did. I think that's a terrible, uh, terrible, <laughs> misguided. Let's veer, let's veer this back over into another territory. I do, I do think I'm kind of fascinated as as having been able to have found kind of a collaborative partner. There is a magic in that you know. In I love working in groups, but if you can have one that one person that you just spark off of and you make each other better. It's a, it's, I think it's a fascinating relationship. I love to see it. 
I know. I mean, it's I just, nice because you can also like communicate without actually talking. Oh yeah, like yeah. There's a lot of that. And we see you guys <laughs> able to do that. I mean, you know, you guys are reading each other, and Maggie and I do that musically. I mean, we we don't, you know. I mean, it's just a just a, a treasure. I mean, to be able to have experienced so many different things in my music. I mean, in my memoir, I talk about collaborating with you know Merle Haggard and being in iconic bands like the Dregs. Uh, and the David Grisman Quintet, and uh, the early bluegrass patriarchs like Jim and Jesse and the Virginia Boys. I was a, a little Virginia boy at 13 years old with the string tie and everything, playing in the summer festivals with them. And uh, yeah, I mean, so here here we are, and I feel still like a kid again. I mean, even all these years gone by. Um, so... That's what I needed to do is, is to, to get that kid voice again. I wanted to write um, this book as a sophisticated, mature person, but I needed to tap into, I mean, nobody wants to hear from a 60-year-old what it's like being 13. Mm-hmm. I needed to get back there again, and the music, my creativity helped me do it because when I play, I do feel... 12 and 13 again. It has that transporting it does. power. And I, I think just from the excerpts of the book that you read, it, you told a story that while different in details, I think many creatives can uh, can really tap into and identify with, which is you had a singular talent and a passion and an interest that did not align with what the crowds at school were into, but you felt compelled despite being bullied until you found your tribe and a place where you were really welcome. Now, they weren't people that were your, your age, but they were welcoming. And I think that's something, um, no matter how old you are, we can all put ourselves back in that place where we just, we hadn't quite found where we belonged yet, but we felt a calling towards it. One of the most powerful points in my book, I think, is when I, I was beat uh, when I was 12 and, and had to go to the hospital from injuries, from being bullied. Those very kids came back to my music class that I gave in high school and sat along the back wall. They were dropouts by then. Hmm. And there was something about my music that brought them to me. And I looked at them and they weren't supposed to be in there. And I could have had our teacher kick them out, but I allowed them to stay. And it was a a powerful point in my young life, realizing um, the strength of music and how it can bring people together, um, even sometimes when words are not enough. And, and nobody said any words there. We just played, and then they had a beautiful smile on their face. Hmm. Um, it was full circle for me. And I, I realized that I was doing the right thing by sticking with my uh, creative music and, and just kept forging ahead, even if times were difficult financially. Um, it was the music that made me rich. And, uh, you know, I spend the entire book pretty much being broke. Mm. But it was the richness that music provided our culture. And I wanted to inspire this era uh, to, to return to some of those values. Where do you turn to stay in touch with the city around you? Broadcast news isn't what it used to be, and commercial radio doesn't scratch that itch. If only there was one place you could get it all, when you want, wherever you want, on your schedule, there is 
the Queen City Podcast Network. Listen to your city on your schedule at queencitypodcastnetwork.com and everywhere you get your podcasts. When I introduced you, I had the honor of introducing you this morning. You know, I, I mentioned that the first time you and I ever spoke, which was pre-pandemic, it was, I can't remember what year we were introduced, but um, one of the first things that you mentioned to me, and it was just so clear, was that your commitment, your passion uh, behind preserving American Roots music for strings. I mean, that's just, it landed for me as an absolute calling, you know. And so I wanted to just ask you, what the motive what the motivating factor was what the motivation is for you behind it is it driven more by your love of this music and you want to share this music you love so much with new generations or does it feel more like a responsibility to preserve this this music um and it's perhaps a combination of those things it's a it's kind of complex isn't it because i'm not a traditionalist Mm. i'm a very much a progressive artist Mm. um i use my materials, my materials are our foundation. So like for instance, uh, to give you a, an example, in classical music, you have Bach as the foundation. In American music, it's these, this multiplicity of genres mm-hmm. that our forefathers came up with. Those are our materials. And you're gonna, I think you're gonna be a more um, uh, believable artist and um, compelling artist if you have a handle on some of those traditional materials and dive into some of them, you know? Um, and with the violin, the fiddle, I, I often call the fiddle the American violin mm-hmm. um, because, uh, you know, most American music that we know and appreciate today, uh, the, the, the roots, the seeds were planted on the fiddle. And that is really a unique um, history. I mean, 400 years ago, when the hoedown was being developed, you know, that combination of African-American slaves uh, playing their bowed instruments, uh, and when they got a hold of the violin that was created in Italy that that uh, immigrants brought over, I mean, that combination right there created what we know as American music. Mm-hmm. And everything comes from the very first tune in the O'Connor Method, Boil Him Cabbage Down, which is a 400-year-old African-American tune and song. And so um, so the violin itself in American history is a real creative instrument. Um, and that's why um, I think I love it so much is because I use those materials um, to be a progressive music, musician, a contemporary musician with. And it gives... Um, me some foundation, some 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 authenticity, um, but yeah, I mean, and I can play traditional music styles for sure. But I'm not really a traditionalist. I mean, mm. I don't. I mean, we're going to play a lot of traditional music in our Crossing Bridges concert um, and tour. Well, that's what inspired me about about your musicianship. You know, before I met you, um, it showed me that you can be really informed about these traditional styles, but then you can fuse different ones together and create something that's completely new mm. and your own and you can excel at 
a lot of them, like you know, even classical music and then playing uh, a lot of fiddling styles too, and being able to fuse those together, he created his own American classical style. Mm. Um, and I think that's such a beautiful message. And I know the title of your book, Crossing Bridges, has a lot of different kind of meanings, you know, crossing bridges, like a lot of our instruments have physical bridges that sure. hold up the strings. And he plays a lot of different bridged instruments, but you also crossed uh, genre bridges uh, and, and made these connections and really opened the world uh, for a lot of string players to, to realize that you can you can do it all. You know? I love how many l- levels that mm-hmm. title plays on. Yeah. Well, that, oh, sorry, Mark. I didn't mean to... Well, there was, uh, to, to take it a, a little step further, I spent a lot of my time in the Bay Area. Uh, that's when I met Stephen Grappelli. And I talk about in the book of just trying to hang on and, and being inspired uh, to wait for Stephen Grappelli to return again. And I would take off in my old red pickup and drive across the three bridges around the Bay Area mm-hmm. in the middle of the night when no one else was on the road and I would, you know, roll my windows down, the hair blowing and just hoping and dreaming of a place where I could play the music that I was creating um, and have it heard one day. And so more bridges crossed right wow. there. Wow. Incredible. One thing that I can't stop wondering about is about the physical instrument, about about the violin. Right or the fiddle. What, what for both of you? What is it about that instrument that made you fall in love with it? Is it the the sound, the history, the feel? And can you remember the moment that you're like, okay, this is what I need. This is my instrument to create. I couldn't believe the the emotional range of it. Um, what attracted to me, uh, to me right from the very beginning, was the the joyful quality of Doug Kershaw's Cajun music. I mean, it just made me so happy. Um, and then with the, however you change the stroke of the bow in your fingerings, all of a sudden I, I was inspired equally as well with the soulful blues of Vassar Clements. And uh, both of those things together just blew my mind. I mean, I, I just couldn't believe that this the same instrument could produce that range and uh but maggie you fell in love with the violin at uh at an early age too what what inspired you yeah it's interesting i hadn't really thought about that very much um i was kind of thrust into a family band situation (laughs) so i needed to pick an instrument uh because um we had moved up from florida where my dad had he had been in a band that played kind of David Grisman style music. Um, and there was a fiddle player in the band. Uh, and we moved up to Atlanta and my dad didn't have his band anymore. So he looked at my brother and I and we were his band <laughs> all of a sudden. So we needed to pick an instrument. And so um, I didn't have an experience where like, oh, I heard this instrument. And I needed to play it. I just um, I decided, well, if I'm going to pick an instrument, I we had a great family friend who was the fiddle player in Florida and um, I loved her so much. And I don't know. I just, I wanted to be like her, a mentor. mentor, Yeah. And I, and so I picked the violin that way. Family playing music. Yeah. Which is how a lot of people got into this music through their family Mm -hmm. and through, you know, 
friends of the family. Um, and, uh, but yeah, that's what makes my story so unique because there was, there was not a musician in my entire family. High to low. And for, for centuries, yeah. as, as far as we could trace on either At side. At least you had dancers, though. They, they were, were dancers. dancers. There you go. Multidisciplinary. Yes, yeah. exactly. They, they loved the arts. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, Maggie, I want to ask you this question. For some reason, it's just coming to me. But like, I'm curious about your experience uh, the tour, with the touring life. Like, what's the, How's touring for you? I mean, you guys are playing all over the country. Do you love touring? Do you just endure touring uh how how does that land for you does it feel like you love life on the road or do you prefer are you more of a homebody for me personally i'm definitely a homebody Mm. um but i feel so incredibly lucky because we're married and so for me like my home is wherever mark is Mm. anyway so um, although I do, I do really love Charlotte and I love living here. We live out on the lake and we have this beautiful view. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think because our, it's kind of a life of extremes, you know, you yeah. go from a few weeks away and then a few weeks at home sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I definitely get to enjoy like lounging on the couch when we're home and doing nothing. And then we get, and when we're gone, we're just totally busy and going into all these amazing places. Sometimes, you know, it looks like we're going to all these incredible places, but you don't always get to see everything. Yeah. You work and you go to the backstage door and then you go play and then drive to the next next place. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's been fun because we've been doing it for long enough now where we're starting for me, I mean, Mark's been doing this his whole life, um, but I'm finally starting to see the other side of it where we are returning to cities and venues that I've played before. And it feels like that's kind of become a bit of my home too. Beautiful. Well, I imagine yeah. with the amount of, uh, Mark, you've played, like you said, thousands of stages. There's There probably can't be a port of call. There can't be a, a stop on a tour where you don't have a fans but b other musicians that are friends that you've played with and and, uh performed with yeah it's interesting i mean you know how it's like playing um some of these places you know in cities over the course of my lifetime um but i say uh just to piggyback on 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 touring as well um you know that's one of the great things about being a duo Mm. is that we can dictate our schedule more and we're not beholden to a group of people. Um, some of them might want to tour constantly. And while we kind of want to have some, you know, some, some nice time off. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if I didn't have some time off, I would have never written this book. Right. <laughs> so point. we do have other interests, you know. Um, but it really does feel, after being isolated from the pandemic, it really does feel great to get out there and play some music for some people. There's nothing like that. Um, I was hoping, you know, like a lot of musicians that maybe cyberspace could be a replacement uh, for music making. And we, we, we really tried. We, we, uh, we had a, we, we did online concerts for 70 Mondays in a row. Mm-hmm. And we called it Mondays with Mark and Maggie. I love the alliteration there. (laughs) That is the day you had to pick. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And we had a a devout following um, that tuned in. Matter of fact, we um, there was someone here in your audience today that tuned into a lot of the Mondays, 
And we were just at a place where um, someone said <clears throat> they watched all 70. They swore they watched all 70. <laughs> wow. So that's an amazing thing. That seemed like a weird thing to lie about anyway. So I, I, I choose <laughs> to believe that that's absolutely true. I'm going to believe What do it. I have to gain from I that? I know. Yeah. <laughs> Why would you make that Why up? Why would you make that up? <laughs> You're not going to get any like bonus points. There's no point. There's no prize. I have, uh, <laughs> I've earned up a lot of Mark and Maggie uh, mega points. Yes. <laughs> I'm just hoping that I need one more punch in. on my card here <laughs> and I get a free sub. A free home concert. <laughs> I know exactly. Oh my god! But we, but it was a lifesaver for me. I mean, to be able to perform for anybody, uh, whether it was a camera lens, you know. I know. Yeah, we were getting squirrely. Oh yeah, for I'm sure. sure. I'm sure. And uh, we need, like, we need the audience. Yeah. Just we can't just be sitting at home. We didn't yeah. devote so much of our lives to learn these instruments and all the blood, sweat, and tears yeah. that for ourselves. Energy, that exchange of energy between you and the audiences you can't there's you can't replicate that yeah. yeah and it's 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 not it's not a vanity thing for us at all like it's like it's it, we really it's part of the communication it's, it's the community uh, community it's like our purpose yeah it's the purpose those instruments were made to do that i mean it's a responsibility really mm. and it's and it's like um we we i think we consider ourselves like public servants yeah we're just we're serving the public with the music that we train to, to play I totally feel that. Um, so we're close to time, but I do have one final question for you, Mark. And uh, Tim probably knows this is coming, so you'll have to forgive me. But um, so I just, you know, I love that rendition of the Valley Road that you performed on on the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band album, Will the Circle Be Unbroken, Volume Man. 2, right? Yeah. Won a Grammy. Yeah. Uh, my friends and I uh, we used to listen to that in college. We we listened to it. I, I talked about it at the event this morning. I mean, I, I can attest to it. Tim was my roommate, so he knows. <laughs> <laughs> I, I We played that so much. And if we were lucky enough to find it in a jukebox, which we there was a bar in Chapel Hill that well, actually and, had and, that and album he, in the jukebox, did. we would go and we would play it. Man. So wherever we could. So... Um, so the question is more about the recording of that particular song because mm. it is it is a part of the soundtrack of my life and I love what you and those amazing musicians did mm. uh, in with that recording. So when you listen, when I listen to it, it feels like one of those one take experiences where it's like, all right, everyone ready, let's go, and you just burn through it and you nail you stick the landing and everyone actually yells uh, celebrates at the end that yeah. that the landing was stuck. Um, is that is that basically what the experience was like recording that particular song? Tell me more. Bring us into the studio and tell us more about that. Yes, the, the Dirt Band album, Will the Circle Be Unbroken, number two. So my hero, Vassar Clements, was on the first one, and I grew up listening to that. I mean, I, I love that album so much, I took the album cover to bed with me at night. Hmm. And slept slept with it under my pillow. That's so cute. That's osmosis. It is so cute, man. <laughs> I, know. I know. And so to be asked to be the the main musician, um, the for the for the circle two was great, absolutely great. Um, and it was the kind of recording that I wanted to do is live recording in the studio, right? Because I I I do feed off the energy. I I know there's. Um, your audience might know what overdubbing mm. is. Mm -hmm. I did some of that, actually a lot of it. I I hated it. You know, I it was just uh, you had to grit your teeth because, of course, the producer and the engineer are expecting you to be spontaneous 
as if you're playing off the other instruments. Right. But you have to like just kind of manufacture it. Yeah. And you're isol you know, you're all by yourself in the studio and it's usually dark and scary and yes, every and everybody's eyes, eyes are on you. Yeah. And just to just just to make sure it's super clear for the listeners, like so, a lot of albums are recorded this way, where it's yeah. like, okay, let's go in and record the guitar now. Okay, right. we're done. All right, let's go in and record the 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 mm-hmm. fiddle now. Okay, we're done. And and it's all you know, yeah. sort of engineering it in that way. So the 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 great thing about you know the Bruce Hornsby uh, Valley Road and this whole thing, I mean, they got the top musicians of the time to do this. So Jerry Douglas was on dobro and Roy Husky was on bass. And then you had the dirt band themselves who felt completely comfortable in their own environment. I mean, of course they did the first circle album. So they're like, Oh, they, they belong there. And then they had their guests and their guests were incredible like Bruce Hornsby. So the, the magic of that combination, you had the core dirt band, you had the guest artist Bruce Hornsby, and then you had the top session players at the time, Jerry Douglas, Roy Husky and myself uh, being the acoustic music ringers. Mm. And so, of course, our job is to nail it. I mean, like that yeah. that's what we're being paid to do. So we have to be ready. So if Bruce is Bruce feeling it, this is the take. We make sure that our solos are the very best they can be. Um, and that that was our reputation, you know. Yeah. And so when it was time and you could feel that this might be the take, whether it was the first take or the second take or the third, I don't know how many takes we took, um, but it was usually pretty quick. Because that was the whole concept of the circle, um, is to is to get this down, get the energy in the room, everybody playing at once, no fixes, meaning uh, you know if there's mistakes, you know you going back and fix. You try to not to do that, you know, get everything down, the energy down. And I loved that process. I wish I could have done that all the time mm. in my Nashville recording um, era, um, but you know a lot of people just don't have the concept of what they're doing. They want to piecemeal it together. Okay, I think I like that guitar solo. Now let's move on to the next one. And, you know, it's manufactured music. Yeah. You know? um, the Dirt Band, the, the album that you fell in love with, was all done in the studio live. Well, that certainly was my experience listening to it. Um, and, uh, you know, I always wonder, God, I wonder how many how many takes did, did they go for? And it sounds like you don't actually remember, but it probably wasn't many. I mean, when you have that caliber of mm-hmm. musicians playing together and you all know the song and, and if I imagine done your own rehearsing leading up, leading up to it. So no, we, we no? looked at that music cold in the studio. Are you serious? Yeah. Now, what? Now Valley Road. <laughs> they, it is a collection of prodigies. I know, but that still blows my mind. There was no, yeah, there was no um, pre-notice of even what we were recording. We, so I would show up and, you know, there, Bruce would walk into the group and, and all of a sudden it's like, what, what are you doing? And it's Valley Road. And we, and he had a hit on that just that year. Yeah. So we thought that was kind of unusual because, you know, some people might want to have their hit out there for a while before they, you know, redo it, reinterpret it. Yeah. And Bruce was willing to do that. He's such a great artist and musician. He said like, no, this, this song could be bluegrass. And uh, we revved it up, brought up the tempo a little bit took it into double time and we were right there with Bruce. It was, it was amazing. Cut. Did he give you a, a chart? Yeah. So we, we, um, we did our own charts, um, chord charts. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so, so that's part of getting it nailed right off the top. You don't want to go to the wrong chord. Mm. Like it's one thing being spontaneous and everything, but all of a sudden, if you're going da 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 da, da and yeah. all of a sudden, whoops! Oh, I forgot that was another chord. Uh, <laughs> and so we're we're actually improvising to a chord chart that we're sitting in front of. Because it's really hard to learn so many different songs quickly uh, and keep the chords you know, memorized and uh, it's actually almost impossible. Yeah. Um, so we have a chord chart. So we're improvising to, you know, the, the confines of the, the, the sequence of harmony. Um, so it gets a little bit in the weeds here, but, but that's how music is made. And uh, so it's part, there's a friend of ours that says, uh, you know, more, more heart and less chart. <laughs> oh, I love that. You know, but, we, but to be a professional musician, you need to figure out how to navigate both. You have to put your heart in the chart. You have to put your heart in the you chart. You can do both at once. Wow. You can do both at once yeah. and you make music <laughs> uh, with your materials. I love that. And I love No Fixes. And by the way, I don't think there are any fixes to be made to that album. But thanks for sharing that um, that experience with us. That's incredible. Uh, you really don't know how how much you let him go down the rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I could, I could go all day with you I remember having this. conversations about that track. In like 1994. Oh yeah, <laughs> whenever, whatever, whatever year it came out, whatever year, it came or whatever, out. in the middle of college. Yeah, picking, but he has so. that effect on people. Yeah, no doubt, yeah. no doubt. It was 1989 that it came out. Wow, it won uh, record of the year at the CMA Awards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow, it's fun. I will tell you, if you guys had been married at that point in Matt's life, he would have found a way to get you a wedding present because he found out that uh, <laughs> that when Bruce had one of his children. It was they the twins. Went, it was the yeah. twins. Okay, sorry. I don't know that. I, yeah. I didn't go yeah. down as far as you, yeah. uh, Matt and, and his brother Mike and our friend Kevin actually went, bought a onesie, found out how to send it to Bruce, and sent it, which... We got a thank you note, by the way. You did, but Ooh. he's probably like, who are these guys? Did you frame it? Uh, I don't... It's somewhere, probably in a safe deposit <laughs> yeah, he's, vault or something. There, there are, if you get some bootlegs of concerts that Matt and Mike and Kevin went to. And I was at a few, but not as many as they, um, you can hear Bruce say from the stage, like, Hey, it's the guys that follow me around. <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> it's true. We have a few recordings a of him saying that. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> love it. Love it. We were definitely wow. Hornsby heads for a sure. Big, big fan. <laughs> big fan. Yeah, they started a Bruce Hornsby tribute band in college. <laughs> we did. Yes. You would think uh, Tim's lying about this, but everything yeah, you're no, saying everything is true. <laughs> 100% true. Well, this has been a real joy to spend time yeah. with you guys this Absolutely. morning and then really dive into it here. You guys have brought up a lot of stuff. We will put all of that, like a link to your book and to your website and to the camps Great. and to the particular tracks we've talked about in the liner notes for the for this episode. Great. Thank yeah. you so much for having us. Oh, my gosh. And thank you for the gifts you're bringing to the world. Thanks for calling Charlotte home. Yeah. And uh, we just love how much more creative you're making our city. And it's, it's really an honor to to call you a fellow charlatan. So yes. thank you so much, Mark Aww. and Maggie O'Connor. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you out there. Thank you. QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com. Network.com.